That was wonderful. Thank you for that, ladies. Boy, the music just keeps getting better and better. That was tremendous. Thank you so much for that, uh, that trio. Hey, uh, open your Bibles this morning to the book of uh, Exodus chapter number 18. Did you sleep all right last night? How many did not sleep all right last night? Okay, <laughs> that's it. Just, just admit it. I cannot sleep when somebody snores. I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. But I learned the secret. Uh, those rare times that I have to sleep, you stuff a pillow down their throat. <laughs> now, the thing is, they die, but they don't snore. So uh, there is, anyway, no, that's not true. But uh, uh, I do struggle <laughs> when people snore. It's been, it's been wonderful. Uh, Good Shepherd is the consummate host. I mean, honestly, um, Pastor Hernan, just what a, what a blessing. <laughs> what a blessing this place is. Every time I step on property, um, this church is a little bit crazy. I mean, I show up, everyone's here. I, I, I leave at night, everyone's here. I don't think people go home. <laughs> honestly, it's crazy. Uh, that's always a good sign of a healthy church, though, isn't it? When people are just buzzing around, serving, fellowshipping, uh, it's, it's wonderful. And so if you're a Good Shepherd uh, member, thank you uh, for your prayer, uh, your preparation, your support, uh, your kindness, uh, all of it. it. It has not gone un unnoticed. It's been a really, really, a real big blessing. Um, this will be the last time I get a chance to talk to you as a group. So let me say... Uh, how much I appreciate your friendship, and I've, I've met a, a few new ones this year and reacquainted with some old ones, so thank you for your friendship. Uh, I would say, uh, if, if you could uh, consider joining our Everyday Truth uh, podcast, I'd love to have you uh, every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, I should say, uh, every weekday. Uh, we just go through books of the Bible, and I would love to have you join us, and it's on all the podcast platforms Spotify and Apple Podcasts and whatever platform you use. And we'd love to have you just join us in a portion of God's Word every day. Uh, we're in the book of Jeremiah right now, plowing some ground. Uh, there are some pretty uh, tough passages in Jeremiah, and we're, we're working through that right now. But we've done about 25 books of the Bible. So if you're ever studying a book of the Bible and you just want something uh, in addition to maybe some of the commentaries you're using or some of the Bible study helps you're using, feel free to get on. You can go to KurtSkelly.com or go to our church website, FaithVA, as in Virginia, FaithVA.org, and there's all kinds of material there. Uh, we'd love to ha have you be a part of that. Uh, thanks for your friendship. It means a lot to me. Uh, Exodus chapter 18 in your Bible, and I want to just have more of a teaching session this, this first hour, and uh, I hope that this will be a help to you. Uh, Exodus chapter number 18, and I want you to, uh, let, let's go ahead and just dive into verse number one. I'm going to read a passage, and then I'm going to come back and give you some principles from that passage, and I'm assuming this morning that this room is full of uh, the leaders in, in, in your respective local churches. I'm assuming that to be the case. If you're, if you're at a conference like this, first of all, many of you are ministry leaders, uh, both in a vocational and then in a lay capacity. This room is full of leaders. Uh, and then I would say that uh, those that would take time out of their schedule to come to a conference like this, 
Uh, there's something in you that says, I want to be an emerging leader. I want to do more for, for Christ. I want to learn more of his word. That's always a good thing. So I think uh, a passage like the one we'll study today will really help us as leaders. I, I really do. It's helped me. So look at Exodus 18 and verse 1. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses. So Moses has been gone. And Moses has gone back to Egypt. Uh, Moses has sent his wife and sons back. Uh, they've been under the care of Jethro. Uh, Moses has been there through the plagues of Egypt. He's come back through the Red Sea. He's finally come back really to the area uh, where he had spent the 40 years shepherding. So that's the context. And so when Jethro heard about all this and what God had done for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt... Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of the which the name of the one son was Gershom, for he said, I have seen an alien in a strange land. I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for the God, for, for the God of my father said he was mine, mine help. He delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So get the picture. Jethro is taking uh, his daughter, Zipporah, to whom he gave Moses to wife years before, and his two grandsons, Gershom and Eleazar, and they're reuniting with Moses. So what a, re, what, what a reunion this will be. Verse number 5, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness, where he encamped at the Mount of God. That's where it all began. It all began there. That's where the call of God uh, commenced uh, Moses' journey to go back. This is where he had watched sheep. This is where the burning bush was. Now this is where the law will be given, the Mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law, Jethro, am come unto thee, and thy wife, and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and did obeisance. So high, high level of respect. Uh, he's the family priest and patriarch. By the way, the Midianites are the descendants of Abraham through Keturah. So uh, Jethro has uh, at least a connection back to Abraham. Look at verse uh, number 7 again. He did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare. And they came into the tent. Now, here's where it really begins, what I want to share with you. Verse number 8. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. What a conversation that must have been. What a conversation. I mean, you can't, you, you, I mean, Jethro, you had to be there, right? Talking about the frogs and the lice and the darkness and the blood and the, and the, the, the Red Sea, all of it. The firstborn. So he tells him everything, all the travail that had come upon them by the way, how the Lord had delivered them. So I love that. As Moses recounts uh, what has happened, twice in this one little verse, he, this is what God did. Jethro, this is what God did. This is what God did. As, as, up until this point, Jethro is not a follower of Jehovah God. He respects Moses. He respects Moses' faith. He respects Moses' commitment. He respects Moses' religion. But up until this point, 
Jethro is not entirely convinced that Jehovah God is the God. Look, look at verse number 9. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Now watch the testimony in verse number 10. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know. That's a, that's, that, that's a come to Jesus moment, right? Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. So this was his moment. This was his, to put it in a New Testament soteriological sense, this is him getting saved. This is Ruth saying, thy God shall be my God. Right? That's what this is. And so the Jethro is saying, now, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. For in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. Verse number 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. So, boy, there's fruit, meat for repentance, isn't it? He, he makes this commitment, I know who God is, and now I'm going to offer sacrifices uh, immediately. I'm worshiping him immediately. So he offers burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came, all the elders of Israel, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. What a meeting. What a meeting. This brand new convert, all the elders of Israel, Aaron and Moses, worshiping God. What, what a meeting this, this was. Verse number 13. And it came to pass on the morrow. So now Jethro's been saved for a day. He's a brand new Christian. He's a brand new follower of Jehovah. And the Bible says that it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. So he had one day off to hang out with his father-in-law, to see his wife and his kids, whom, whom he's not seen now for weeks and weeks and weeks. So you, you would think he would take the weekend off at least, right? Take a week. He's not seen his wife. He's not seen his kids. Okay, he spent the whole day with his father-in-law. His wife's like, you know, what about me, right? How do you know she said that? Because I have a wife, okay? Um, and, and the Bible says in verse 14, so when Moses' father-in-law saw, I'm sorry, verse 13, so it came to pass Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood by Moses from morning until evening. You know what that is? That's a 12-hour day. Without a show of hands, how many of you have worked a few 12-hour days? And when you work a 12-hour day, and it's not physical labor, like, and, and maybe some of you that work physical labor jobs, so let me just maybe help you to understand something about your pastor. Sometimes we look at a pastor and say, well, I mean, how hard can that possibly be, right? I mean, uh, I work hard with my hands all day long, and the pastor just sits in his office with a tie on. I mean, how, how hard can that be? I'm going to just tell you this by experience. There is nothing more taxing than people work. There is nothing more taxing than people work. And if you want to suck it out of somebody, let them counsel all day long. If, you could, if I could wave a magic wand and not do one thing in my future in ministry, I'd say, I'm going to take away all counsel, okay? Matter of fact, give me your phone number. I will recommend you to everyone that comes to me for counsel. So Moses is there all day long. Jethro is just watching. He's on the sidelines of Moses' life. What do the people that love you, what do the people that love you that sit on the sidelines of your life, 
What do they say about your work? What do they say about your ministry? Because it's important to listen to them. For years, I didn't. For years, I didn't listen to the people on the sidelines of my life because I know what ministry is and I'm going to get it done and I'm going to... This is what I call the father-in-law principle. The father-in-law principle. We all need people in our lives who love God. Jethro certainly does now. He's a brand new Christian. Okay, He loves God and loves me. A good counselor in your life is somebody who loves God and loves you. So here's Jethro. He's going to offer some advice to Moses that's going to change Moses' ministry life. Moses' ministry life is about to change in one conversation. So it's good to have my dear friend Mansour here, one of my best friends in all the world. Mansour had a a father-in-law conversation with me. Like, remember that, Mansour? You had this conversation with me like seven years ago. It was very effective because he kind of like is like a father to me. So uh, that, that, but no, honestly, all kidding aside, it was a very important conversation. And this conversation that the Lord, that, that the Lord has recorded for us might be a ministry-saving conversation for you. I believe that. Okay, let's talk about the father-in-law principle. Verse number 14, so Moses, father-in-law, saw the, all that he did to the people, and he said, what is this thing? What are you, what are you doing? What, what, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why? He, he's not accusing. He, he's not, he just wants more information. So Moses, okay, like I noticed you're, you're out there, people coming all day long from, from sunrise to sunset. You know, what, what are you doing? Why? Why sittest thou thyself alone? I mean, is this like you're the only guy among two million people that can do this? Why are you doing that? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? All the people stand by thee from morning until evening. And Moses said, now here's his answer. And this, is, this, is, this was my answer for ministry. And honestly, it's laced with a little bit of pride. So watch what Moses says. And Moses said unto, the, unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. Okay, you want to know what I'm doing? I'm working for God. These people, want to, they want direction for their lives. They want to know what the word of God means. They want to know how to apply it to their lives. I'm the one that knows God. I'm the one that can give that answer. And So that, that's what I'm doing. I'm giving them godly counsel. Look at verse number uh, verse number 16, and I'm sure Moses was thinking, take that, right? I mean, that's a good answer. And when they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Now, is that a good work or not? And the answer is yes. If you can bring the word of God to bear upon a person's situation, that's a good thing. That's what judges did in the Bible. They were able to know the word of God and bring the word of God to bear upon the individual situations of life. As opposed to a priest uh, who would teach the word of God, a judge took the word of God and made it practical 
to the situation of the people. That's why when Jehoshaphat reigned, a, a good, good king in Judah, he, he wanted to make it his business to make sure there was a teaching priest and a judge in every population center. Why? Because it's important to receive the word of God uh, proactively, systematically. That's what you do on Sunday mornings. That's what you do on Sunday nights. That's what you do on Wednesday nights. That's what presumably you do when you read the Bible every day. You're taking in the Word of God. But taking in the Word of God is different than applying the Word of God to the specific situations of our life. And some people do a a, a good job teaching the Word of God. There it is. But other people have a special gift to say, okay, now how does this Word apply to your situation? That was Moses. Moses was taking the Word of God and making the application to their specific situation. So, what are you doing, Moses? Why are you doing this by yourself? Well, let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm doing a great work. I am helping people understand the Word of God for their life. Okay, you want to know what Jethro thought about that? Well, look at what he says. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good. How would you like that to be the ministry assessment of your work? How would you like to take your busy week and tell people and even tell the Lord all the things you did for him and all the things you did for everyone else and have somebody come alongside you and say, yeah, that's not good. That's my two-word assessment of your ministry. It's not good. Now, I I understand that one day uh, I want to stand before Jesus and hear well done. In other words, that's good. <laughs> you know, but to hear the word of God assess my ministry as not good, uh, that makes me perk up and say, okay, what about this is not good? So my question to you is, what about your ministry service is not good? What is it that you're doing that might seem good, that might seem justifiably beneficial in the moment, but really long-term is not good? So three statements I want to give you. We'll walk right through it. Uh, This won't be earth-shattering, but I think it'll help. Okay, so uh, the father-in-law principle. Uh, Number one, we need to learn to recognize, and by the way, if you want these notes, I have them carefully uh, outlined, and if you want to just listen and get it, uh, Pastor Hernan, can I mail this to email this to you? So this is my new way of doing things, Okay. (laughs) Because if I were full of myself, I would just give you a handout, okay? <laughs> Look at me. Put a big rock in front of me. I mean, I'm, I'm not, not going to do it. Not going to do it. <laughs> and, and, I, and I used to say, I, I used to say, hey, here's my email address. Email me. And then after a session, I'd get like 50 emails and I'd feel bad because I wouldn't get back to people for like nine years, right? <laughs> so like I'm defying the very purpose of the outline. So now I just pass the buck. Hey, Pastor Hernan, just email this to people, okay? And I have to email it to him. So if you want it, talk to him. If you want a handout, talk to Jason. Um, <laughs> but that way you can just listen, okay? So n- number one, recognize the necessity of an alternative vantage point. Okay, when it comes to our ministry, when it comes to your ministry, your pastoring, okay, you're serving faithfully in your local church. Yo, you're in the nursery every, the crash every week helping. You feel like 
Is this ever going to end? I'm so busy. You know, I feel like I'm living at the church. Okay. Recognize the importance of an outside vantage point. Because sometimes you can't see yourself. When I was going to driver's education back when I was 16, this is back in 1982, I, um, I went to a driving school and they, they taught us how to change lanes. Now, it's different, obviously, in Australia because you drive on this, the, the wrong side of the road. Um, <laughs> but they taught us, you know, on, on the, when I'm driving on the left side, they said, okay, when you want to change lanes, you put your signal on. You know, let people know your intention. You look through the rear view mirror, and then you look through the side view mirror, and then you do a head check left. This is before cameras. This is before automobiles. This is horse and buggy days. Okay, <laughs> so head check left. So for you, it'd be rear view, side view, head check right. Right? Why? Because there's a blind spot. There's a blind spot. So you need equipment on your car to help you with your blind spot. Do you know what your friends are in your life? They're the rear view and the side view and the head check left because there's things you can't see about yourself. You know, for instance, you've never seen your forehead. You've seen a reflection of it, but you've never seen your... Try, go ahead, try, try. You've never seen your forehead. Other people see you better than you see you. So we need an outside vantage point. So I want you to consider the vantage point that Moses received here in Exodus 18. First of all, it was a one-day vantage point. Jethro didn't see the way by which the situation had grown over time. Sometimes the reason we can't see our situation is because it didn't happen overnight. Right? We're the frog in the water, and the water has increased by one degree until we're boiling. But we didn't know it. So what happens in ministry is we incrementally get more busy. And in the incremental busyness of ministry, we don't see it until someone else just says in one day, that's crazy. Like what, what you're doing is, what are you doing? It's crazy. So it was a one-day vantage point, okay? Number two, it was a loving vantage point. And that's important. It's important that the people that speak into your life about your life are people that love God and love you. Because there are always critics. They're going to tell you what you should and should not do, but they don't have your best interest in mind. So a loving vantage point always, by definition, will have the best interest of its object in view. So Jethro truly loved Moses. I love Moses. I'm not saying this in, manipula in a manipulation way. I'm not saying this for my benefit. I I'm saying this for your benefit. Surround yourself with people that will say things to you for your benefit. That's what love does. That's what faithfulness does. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? That's, that's what happens, speaking into. So uh, he asked the question of Moses. He asked a question of Moses before he verbalized. He didn't, just, he didn't just judge Moses. He didn't say, Moses, what you're doing is stupid. No, he said, Moses, what, what are you doing? Now, now tell me why you're doing it. He didn't assume he knew. He was probing. You know, okay, let me, let me understand what your rationale is, why you feel like you have to do this by yourself. That, that's what a good counselor does. That's what a good friend does. That's what love does. 
Love doesn't assume. Love doesn't assume. Love says, I'm going to, as a matter of fact, it does assume. It assumes the best, right? It thinketh no evil. And so here is a loving vantage point that Jethro has. Here's a one-day vantage point that Jethro has. Uh, number three, it was a secular vantage point. You say, what do you mean by that? Jethro was not in ministry. Je- Jethro was not, uh, he, 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 was, he had that, that, that whole shepherding syndicate there in Midian. And although he was the priest of his family, I mean, this is not his job. He doesn't counsel people. He doesn't do what Moses does. And sometimes it's important to get lateral thinking into your ministry. You know, sometimes the most important conversation you have is not with a fellow pastor. Sometimes the most important conversation you have is with a loving businessman in your church or a loving family member who doesn't maybe understand all the nuances of ministry and church work, but they they understand you. And sometimes bringing to bear that lateral thinking upon your ministry is going to help you to understand things in a way perhaps that you've not considered it otherwise. Sometimes those that are in the work do not see the inefficiency of the process because they're sincerely engaged in meaningful work. Sometimes we just don't see our inefficiencies because, after all, we're we're serving God. And that becomes the, 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 the justification. Yeah, I'm tired. Yes, it was another long day. Yeah, I didn't see the kids again today. Yeah, my health is failing, but I'm doing good work. But I'm doing good work. Yeah, so sometimes we need that, that side view, that rear view mirror in our life to give us that one day, secular, loving vantage point. And that's what initially... Jethro did for Moses. Okay, watch this, number two. Number two. So I said, number one, recognize the necessity of an alternative vantage point. Number two, and this is on your part now, this is on my part, be willing to receive a negative assessment. That's hard. You know, the, the, the psychosis of social media has made that more difficult because everything we do now, we do for likes. Every validation we want right now is more views, another follower. And that's very detrimental. We need to learn to invite a negative assessment. We need to to be radical about knowing what we did wrong. I I know that you probably do something in your ministry. When you have an event, you do like a a post-mortem report or an action report or um, lessons learned report, whatever. You ought to. You, you, you ought to be very, very uh, curious about what I'm doing wrong or how I could do things better. That's important. And so be willing. There has to be a willingness on your part to receive a negative assessment that you, you, what you're doing is not the best way to do it. Matter of fact, uh, the, the assessment here is this is not good. So first of all, uh, this is not good. Jethro was willing to tell Moses a shockingly hard thing to hear. Listen to this statement. Misprioritized good deeds can actually make the ministry counterproductive. Misprioritized good deeds. That was Martha. Martha was doing good things, but the good things were keeping her from a better focus, wasn't it? And I wonder how often we do that. So we've got to be willing to hear that. 
Remember, Martha said, Jesus, I, I have the solution. I have the solution to ministry problem. And that is enlist more workers. Just tell my sister to serve with me. That will double the workload. I mean, that will double the, the number the work, the number of workers, and we'll get the job done. So it's, Lord, I have the solution to this problem. You know, so just tell her to do what I'm telling you to tell her to do. Do we do that with the Lord sometimes? Do we come to the Lord and say, Lord, okay, good news, bad news. Okay, bad news is I'm really, really tired. Okay, good news is I've got the solution. Okay, so with your power and my brains. <laughs> now, we don't say it that way, but that's what we're saying. And what Jesus said is, Martha, Martha. Man, you're cumbered. You're distracted. Yeah, Mary has made the right choice. It shall not be taken away from her. So my answer to your prayer request, Martha, is no. No. So here in Exodus chapter 18, Jethro says the hard thing. This is not good. But then he says, number two, this is not sustainable. Look at verse number 18. Thou wilt surely wear away. Moses, let, let me predict the future if you continue to do it this way. You're going to wear away both thou and the people. Wow. Both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing's too heavy for thee, thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Man, we don't like to hear things like, not good. You can't. That's what he's saying. Not good, you can't. Not good. I don't care how skilled you are. I don't care how competent you are. I don't care what your capacity is. There is a limit. And by the way, God puts those limits there on purpose. Because without him, we can do nothing. And so Jethro is giving some great advice here to say, listen, this is not good and this is not sustainable. You will destroy yourself and the people that you're acting as if you're helping. Because your excuse for being a workaholic is, but I'm helping people. And, and Jethro said, no, you're not. You're not helping people. That's a tough pill to swallow. Because the, the whole excuse for overwork was, but I'm helping people. That's my excuse. And, and Jethro said, but you're not helping them. Because you're, you're spread a mile wide. You have a superficial interaction with these people. It's not sustainable. You're going to die. You have no succession plan. And then everyone's going to fail. So tell me how that makes sense. Well, that's a hard thing to hear. This is not good. This is not sustainable. And then, uh, and this goes along with it, you can't do this by yourself. You can't do this by yourself. Ironically, Moses reluctantly answered the call of God. Remember when Moses answered the call of God? His initial response to, to Jehovah was what? I can't do this. I can't speak. And now, in a few short months, he's like, I'm the only one that can speak. Is that amazing? I can't speak. I can't do this. Now it's like, I'm the only one that can do this. I'm the only one qualified. But pride is a subtle thing, isn't it? It's a subtle thing. And then we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And so Jethro is simply pointing all of this out. 
So be willing to receive the difficult news of a negative assessment. All right, lastly, you've listened well. So recognize the necessity of an alternative vantage point. Be willing to receive the difficult news of a negative assessment. And then number three, commit to a new and sustainable plan for ministry effectiveness. Commit to a new and sustainable plan. And this is just as applicable for lay people as it is for vocational pastors. Okay, so don't think that anybody is exempt from these principles. We all live busy lives. Uh, we all are tasked with more than we can possibly complete. And so what, what, what do we need to do? Commit to a new and sustainable plan for ministry effectiveness. Look at verse number 20. Verse number 19. Hearken now unto my voice. Okay, listen to me. Sometimes we need a loving person in our life to say, listen to me. For me, it was Mansoor. We were driving around in his little sports car and... and uh, I asked him a question, and he kind of looked at me, and we pulled over, and he just spoke into my life. And he said, now listen to me. Remember that conversation? Listen to me. This was just ahead of my going to Faith Baptist in Fredericksburg. I just finished ministering at Harvest. At Harvest, I was at the end of my capacity. I was living at the edge of my capacity. And I didn't even realize just how much it had worn me out. And man said to me, he said, and you're about to jump right back into it unless you make some really big adjustments. And he basically walked me through this. So this. Now, we didn't turn to this passage, but this, this was the conversation. Look at verse number 18. 19. Hearken unto me. I'll give you counsel. I can help you with this if you'll listen, Moses. God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't continue to wield your influence, Moses. Do that, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men. See that? such as fear God, here's the qualifications, they're able, they fear God, they're men of truth, they hate covetousness, place over them, uh, be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, let them judge the people at all seasons, it shall be that every great matter uh, they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier, well we like that word, it shall be easier for thyself, they shall bear the burden with thee, if thou shalt do this thing and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure. You'll be, let me give you a sustainable plan for ministry, future ministry effectiveness and all this people shall go out to their place in, in peace. Hey, Moses, do what I tell you to do and everybody wins. Do what I tell you to do, everyone's going to win. You're going to win. Your family's going to win. The people are going to win. Just do it this way. He's giving them God the counsel. So what is that new sustainable pattern for ministry that you and I need to desperately understand and apply? Okay, let me give you these three thoughts. I'm done. First of all, learn to be more proactive than reactive. In ministry, as a general rule, learn to be more proactive than reactive. So did you hear what uh, he said to Moses? Moses. What you need to do is be teaching generally these principles. 
Because much of what you're counseling, and pastors, how often have you been in a counseling meeting and they're talking about all their problems and you're like, I got the answer. And they're like, what? Listen to the Sunday morning's message. Right? It's like, show up for church. Matter of fact, I tell people now in counseling, if you don't come to the general sessions, I don't do private sessions. You say, when are the general sessions? Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Right? And so what he was saying to Moses is, listen, Moses, you have this body of knowledge. You have this connection with God. You have this understanding of the Word of God. So teach these general principles. So, so that other people will also understand them and be able to bring them to bear upon their specific situations. So in that, in that vein, teaching is greater than solving. Sometimes we like counseling because there's like a, the endorphins of solving people's problems. Oh, Pastor, that was great. Thank you for that. Now do away with all that. Teaching is greater than solving. Proactivity is better than reactivity. When you're proactive, you can plan your schedule. When you're reactive, other people plan your schedule. Right? So learn how to be proactive, not reactive. Now, obviously, there are things you have to react to, but minimize that. Teaching is more important than solving. This was probably the most important thing that Mansour taught me about seven years ago, and that was the definition of delegation. The definition of delegation. So here is the erroneous definition that I was operating by for years. Delegation. So delegation is do everything you can possibly do, you know, but you can't do it all, right? So do everything you can possibly do, and then whatever you can't do, you got to find people to do it, do the rest for you. I thought that was delegation. That wasn't delegation. That was stupidity. <laughs> because that definition of delegation means you must always, 24-7, live at the edge of your margin. You must always live at the edge of your margin. You have no margin, and then you've got to give away the rest. And inevitably, what happens is, you'll give away things that you should have done, and you'll do things that you shouldn't have done. So it's not only living at the edge of your margin, but it's living frustratingly at the edge of your margin. Never feeling as if I've ever gotten it all done, frustrated that other people are doing what I should be doing, frustrated that they're not doing it to the level I should be doing it, and I'm living in constant workload frustration. That was my life. So Mansour gave me this radical definition of delegation. He said, Pastor Skelly, now he actually didn't say that, he said, Pasta Skelly, <laughs> what you need to do is give away everything that anybody else can do. And I thought, that is the laziest <laughs> advice I have ever heard in my life. And then he explained it to me. No, you need to determine what are the things that only you can do. And then let everybody else do the other things. Okay, so for instance, here are some things that only I can do. Only I can be Wanda's husband. So I better do that. Only I can be Nathaniel and Joshua and Caleb and Hannah's dad. So I better do that. Only I can be, only I can be Jaden and Judah and Juliet and Elia and Camila and Cassius. I, 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 I can be their grandpa. 
So I better do that. And then when it comes to church, what are the things in my church, and our church situation is different than yours. So our church is different than yours. I'm not saying that what I, my priorities should be yours. But in church, what are the three things I can do at our church that only I can do? Other people can't do it. Okay? Only I, as the lead pastor of our church, can do the majority of the teaching and preaching. So I better do that. Only I can lead our pastoral staff. I can't abdicate that. I can't have a, hey, I can't say to our secretary, hey, you lead this, this, the pastors. Okay? Now, she tries to, okay? But, <laughs> and we all know the real pastor is always the church secretary, but, you know. No, the, the, the point is this. Only I can do the majority of teaching and preaching. Only I can lead our pastoral staff. And only I can be the curator of God's vision for our church. It's, it's his vision, not mine. I'm not the visionary. He is. Okay? But somebody has to spend the time in prayer and, and, and meditation to curate the vision of God. And guess what? That's all I do. That's all I do. You say, somebody comes and says, well, Pastor Skelly, uh, we had this problem in children's ministry. I said, oh, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Have you talked to Pastor Jay? Well, yeah, well, it was a big problem, so we want to come right to the pastor. No, he is the pastor. No, he is the pastor that, of that ministry, that, that he is. Yeah, but we wanted to come to, we want to take it right to the top. No, he is the top. Now here's the top. Do you want me to go with you? So the point is, I'm going to refuse to do the things that I don't have to do. You say, that's lazy. No, 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 no. That's serving my people. Because I'm, I'm not doing little rerun messages on Sunday because I was so busy I couldn't get to it. I'm not feeling guilty about not seeing my family this week because I was so busy with all these people that, you know, next week, next week, next month, next year... No, 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 no. No, it's a total revolutionary way. And what happens initially when you do that, you have all this margin. It's like, oh, man, I have all this margin. Guess what you do with that margin? You invest it better in the things that only you can do. So you become a better preacher and a better leader and a better visionary and a better husband and a better dad and a better... It's amazing. It's like It's liberating. It's sustainable. All right, so real quickly, man, I've taken way too much time. I'm so sorry. Um, learn to be more proactive than reactive. Number two, identify and equip the right leaders. Uh, they're, they're competent. They, they need to be competent, obviously. They need to be godly. They fear the Lord. They need to be honest. They're men of their word, and they're men of the word. They're men of their word, and they're men of the word. Okay, so they're, they're honest men, and then they're not covetous. Why? Because a judge cannot have a... Uh, can, cannot have an ulterior motive, right? So a judge needs to be honest. So he's not, I'm not in it for what I can get out of it. So make sure that your deacons, make sure that your leadership in your local church, make sure that your, your group leaders, your Sunday school teachers, make sure they're people like this, okay? They're not politicians. They're not manipulative. They're not doing it for their own self-aggrandizement. No, they're people that model these characteristics. Ironically, these characteristics are very similar to Act 6, aren't they? Very similar, and so, uh, learn to be more proactive than reactive. Identify and equip the right leaders. And then lastly, support their leadership by remaining engaged in their success. Re- support their leadership by remaining engaged in their success. That's what Jethro said. Jethro said, listen, teach them. Let them handle these matters. And, and if there's a big issue, let them bring it to you. 
You know why? Because when there's a big issue that they can't handle, not only am I helping them help that person, but I'm helping them help every other person that has that same problem. Right, right, right? So it's like, I want you to go to Josh. I want you to go to Adam. I want you to go to, I want you to go to James. I want you to go to Omar. I want you to go to Eric. I want you to go to Jeremiah. I want you to go to Dave. These are our pastoral staff members. And if they come to me and say, Pastor, I'm dealing with this situation, well, bring them in. Let's all meet. And now I, I help them with it. Now the next time they face that situation, they don't bring it to me. They've got it. They've got it. You know what that does? That takes me down a notch because I don't have to have a Messiah syndrome like I'm the grand poobah that answers all the questions. Sometimes we like to be that guy. No, I would much rather celebrate their success than mine. I would much rather they get the credit than I. And that's what Jesus did, didn't he? And we ought to model the heart of Jesus. Father, thank you for this uh, good group of friends today. Thank you, Lord, for every church. Lord, how we need every church in this room to be healthy. How we need every leader in this room to be healthy. And Lord, insofar that we've said things that would be helpful, I pray that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. I bless the session that will now come. I bless the remainder of this day. And we ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.